It's common in the Christian life for us to go through different seasons. You know, right after we first accept Christ as our Savior, everything is, you know, we're just on fire. We want to tell everybody. We're like, we're like the woman at the well who, who only knew a little bit about Jesus, but yet she went in and she told her entire city about him. And we have that fire that's inside of us. And unfortunately, though, as we go through seasons, as time moves on, we start to lose that a little bit. That fire starts to die down a little bit. It's kind of like when you buy a new bulb. Remember the old incandescent bulbs? They're harder to get now. They trend out long. But you'd put it in, it'd be very, very bright. But then over time, it would start to die down a little bit. And you wouldn't notice it unless you put another one in right beside it and you notice side by side that they weren't quite the same anymore. But then like right at the end of life, these bulbs would get really bright again. It's like they knew their time was up. And the human spirit is like that as well. In the Christian walk, sometimes we get really, really bright at the beginning and we really, really bright in the middle at the end. But in the middle, we, we kind of dim down a little bit. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. I want to ask you the simple question. Is God's word burning you? Does it burn in you like it did when you first accepted Christ as your Savior? Because he's one of Satan's jobs after we become Christians. One of the things he tries to do is he tries to get us to doubt. He tries to get us to second guess. He tries to do all these things. And what he's doing is he's throwing water onto our fire. We allow him to, to whisper in our ears. And, and worse, we start to listen to the words that he's putting in our ears. Now, he can't force anything on us because he's a defeated foe. But we allow him to have power in our lives. We allow him to have small victories in our lives. We allow him to quench that fire that burns inside of us. We need to restoke that fire. You guys, most of you live out in the manor or somewhere. I'm sure you've had a fire in your yard before, an intentional fire. Not an unintentional one, but an intentional one. And you throw the wood on the fire and it burns. But after a while, it starts to, it starts to go down a little bit, right? Maybe it's in your fireplace. Maybe it's outside. So what do you got to do? You got to stoke the fire. You got to get in there. You got to kind of stir it up a little bit. You got to give it some fresh fuel. And you got to stir it up a little bit and let the oxygen get to it. And what happens is it starts to rage again, right? It starts to burn hot again. That's the way we are as Christians. So Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to look at some things. We're going to look at some things that these gentlemen had in their lives. So we're going to read through the passage first. And then we're going to look at some of the things they had going on in their lives to see what it is that we can, we can take from that. The first verse I want to read is actually towards the end of, our, of what we're going to be discussing, but it's, it's, it's verse number 32. Two disciples that we're going to be looking at in just a moment, it says, Verse number 32 of chapter number 24 says, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he, was, and while he opened to us the scripture? So we see right there, they're, they're talking. They realize something was different. We're going to look at that. We're going to see what happened to them. Because at the beginning of this, the fire wasn't burning. It was there, but it wasn't burning. And now they're saying, That's burning. His word is burning within us. So let's go back to verse 13. I want you to see the very first thing that took place here. Verse number 13 says, And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlings long. 
So here are these guys, they're, they're walking, but what's important about this is this, this chapter has been talking about different disciples and about experiences they've had. And notice what it says right there. It says, if you hold two of them, that seems like that it's not important, but it's important because two of them literally means two disciples. And this is the first thing that we need to have if we're going to be, have the, the word of God burn inside of us. We need to be disciples of God. We need to be disciples of God. So these guys were disciples. What does that mean? It implies a couple of things, a couple of important things. One, they were saved. They knew Jesus. They had accepted Jesus. They believed in Jesus. But more importantly, as disciples, they were following Jesus. See, there's a big disconnect in our churches today. We have a lot of people that claim the name of Jesus, but very few follow Jesus. Very few are disciples of him. Very few are, are students of his. And we need our churches to be filled with students because the church's job is to impact society. But when we have a lot of people in churches that aren't disciples of Jesus Christ, instead society starts dictating what's taking place inside of our churches. You ever notice how modern churches are becoming more and more like nightclubs? You go inside and they turn down the lights and the strobe lights come on and the smoke comes out and the guy in skinny jeans walks out. I tried it. I couldn't find skinny jeans my size. The biggest ones I found, I was, it, was very, it, was, it was very uncomfortable. I won't go into the whole, the whole thing. But that's the church being influenced by the world. I said, well, we're being seeker sensitive. You ever heard that term before? Our church is becoming seeker sensitive. People that are seeking something. Well, maybe there are people out there seeking something, and there is people seeking something, but they're not going to find it in a nightclub. If they were going to find it in a nightclub, they'd already found it. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us to be seeker-sensitive. It tells us to be savior-sensitive. Everything we need, everything we do here needs to be because of the savior, not because of the seeker. I know it sounds good to say we do this because people are seeking Christ, but in reality, the church is about Jesus Christ. The church isn't even, isn't even designed in the Bible to be the best place to find out about the gospel. Did you know that? It kind of goes contrary to what a lot of people believe. The church is a place to build up and to edify believers. And then the believers go out and share the gospel. If we just sit here and wait for lost people to come in to share the gospel with them, we'll never impact our society. We'll never impact our world. We'll never make a difference. What happened in this country over 100 years ago, what happened in England several hundred years ago, what happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago was that the church got built up in their services, and once they were built up in their services, then they went out into the community and told every single person about Jesus Christ. Some received, some rejected, but they were at least given the choice. Today, we, we live in a society today where there are people out there that have never even been given the choice. We assume that since they live in the United States that they've been given the choice as to whether or not to believe or not believe. But who's told them? Who's told them? The vast majority of Christendom gets together for one hour a week and checks it off their list and moves on. We may be a church, we may be Christians, but we're not disciples. Not in that scenario. We need to be disciples. You want the Word of God to burn within you? You need to be a disciple. That's the first criteria they had. Number two is in verse number 14. It says, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. 
They talk together. Remember, they're both disciples. Now, we know one of the disciples, he took off afterwards. He came back in. We talked about him. But here's two disciples, and they're still together. They're still in fellowship with other believers. And they're still discussing those things. This is what we need to be doing as Christians. They weren't in church. They weren't in a, at a meeting. They weren't gathered together. This is just two Christians that are hanging out together, walking down the road. But what are they talking about? They're talking about this. They're talking about Jesus Christ. They're talking about what he did and what happened to him and about the empty tomb. They're discussing these things. And to be honest with you, they don't fully understand it. Just like we don't fully understand it. But they knew what happened. And they're sharing it with each other. They're talking about it with each other. When was the last time you talked to a believer about the resurrection? Other than Easter. We talked about the resurrection and we discussed the resurrection. How often do we do that as believers? That's what they were doing. They were in fellowship with other believers. Not just at church, but outside of church. They were hanging out with other Christians. They weren't going to the neighbor's house and having a beer. They were hanging out with other Christians. They were fellowshipping with other Christians. Verse 15 for number three. And it came to pass that as they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, to this day, the third day since these things were done, yea, and certain women also of our company made, astonish, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found that even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. You see the third thing? When they were questioned, they didn't realize it was Jesus. Their eyes were holding. They weren't allowed to see Jesus right now. And Jesus was like, what's, what's going on? What, what, are, what are you talking about? You seem sad. You seem confused. What's going on? They're like, have you heard? Are you a stranger here? He asked a question, and they were ready to give an answer. And they didn't try, oh, nothing, nothing, you wouldn't understand. They, they didn't try and say, oh, we were just talking about the, you know, the, the new truck that came out, or the, we're talking about the basketball game. Or we're talk no, no, they were ready to give an answer. See, even though they didn't understand, and from their answer, you see they didn't understand, because they're still thinking, wait a minute, Jesus came to set us free from the Romans. He came to liberate Israel. He came to liberate us. So they're still a little confused. They still don't completely understand. But nevertheless, they're saying, this is what happened. They gave a testimony. They didn't give an explanation. They didn't give a, a complete understanding. But they're saying, look, this is what happened. They're probably thinking, well, we're not even sure what this means. We're not even sure how this happened. But let me tell you what happened. 
Jesus was crucified. The, the priests, our people, sent him to the cross to be crucified. And he died. And he was put in the grave. And it's been three days. And let me tell you what happened. Some of the women went to the sepulcher. They went to, to, to take care of his body for its final burial. He was gone. And then some of the other disciples, they, they took off running down there and they went and they verified the fact that he was gone. And on top of that, angels came. They're just telling the story. You can tell from the way they're telling it that they're not even sure what story they're telling completely. They don't understand everything, but they knew facts. Just like the leper that was healed. He didn't understand everything about Jesus, but he knew he was healed. He knew that there was the one that called himself the Messiah that healed him. The woman at the well, she didn't understand. She was very confused. But she understood she met one that told her all these things about how we we're going to worship differently and about how he was the living water. And any that took that living water would never, never thirst again. She didn't have a degree in theology. The thief on the cross didn't have a degree in theology, never sat in a church service one time in his life. But don't tell me when he died, the word of God wasn't burning in his heart. Always ready to give an answer. Always ready. Verse number 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Or number four, Jesus rebuked them. What normally happens when we get rebuked? Somebody comes to you and say, says, you're wrong. You're, you're teaching something wrong out of the Bible. This is what the Bible says. What, what do we normally say? We, we get puffed up, don't we? And who are you to tell me I'm wrong? Who are you to, to correct me? These guys didn't do that. They were open to correction. This is tough for Christians. This is tough for humans. This is tough in our society because in our society today, we're told that we're never really wrong. We, have, we live in a society today that believes in individual morality, meaning that morals don't come from the Bible. They come from ourselves. And so where it may be wrong for you to do something, it's not necessarily wrong for me to do that same thing. If the Bible may say it's wrong, but my moral compass is different. We know the Bible says that stealing's wrong, but I have to steal to feed my family. So it's okay then, right? No, it's still wrong. I know the Bible says that, you know, uh, in, infidelity and, and cheating on my husband is wrong, but, but you don't understand how he treats me and how he abuses me, so it's okay, right? No, it's still wrong. I know, I know killing is, is murder, but, but you don't understand what this baby is going to do to my life. Or you don't understand, I was, I was raped, so I have to kill this baby, and it's okay. No, it, it's still wrong. The, we, have, we have forces out there that try and convince us that, that if, a, if a woman is raped and she, and she has a baby, that if we kill that baby, somehow she's unraped. That somehow she's going to forget about what takes place. Because they'll say, well, she has a, if she has that baby, then she's going to be reminded every day. 
I've counseled lots of rape survivors. And you know what's something they don't forget? They don't forget that they were raped, whether they have a baby or not. It doesn't magically go away because you commit murder. But yet we have this, this individual morality that, that even though the Word of God says something, we do something else, and, and, and God forbid anybody try to correct me, because when somebody tries to correct me, some of you right now, just based on those little, those little vignettes that I just shared with you, some of you are offended right now because you're not open to correction. If you're not open to correction, the Word of God's not going to burn in you. This is the things that we need. This is why this is given to us. We have to be willing to believe and understand that we may be wrong and God might just be right. Imagine that. But we read the Bible and we say, yeah, I agree with that, I agree with that. Oops, skip that part. I don't like that part. So we skip that part because it, that's offensive to us personally. Because we won't even take correction from the Word of God, much less the man of God or, 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 or child of God. These guys, there's no indication they got offended. They still don't know it's Jesus, by the way. They just think it's some guy who didn't even know Jesus was crucified five minutes earlier, and now he's rebuking them with the Old Testament. I could see why they'd be offended, but there's no indication of that. They're open to correction. They knew how little they know. I am constantly reminded how little I know. The more I learn, the more I study, the more time I spend with Christ and spend in his word, I realize how little I know. There was a time where I thought, yeah, I'm seeing it all come together. You ever, you, did you get there? Remember when that happened? If you're a student of the Bible, you remember that time. You see, when I was a little kid, it was all stories. It's like there's Daniel, there's Abraham, there's Noah. There's all these people. And then at one point, it all, it all goes together. And you start seeing that timeline. You start seeing how this event leads to this event and this event. And everything is pointed to the cross of Calvary. It's like this epiphany goes off in your mind. You're like, I finally get it. And then all of a sudden you realize, I don't get it at all. There's so It just raises more questions. And you have to go back and study some more and learn some more. And the more you study, the more you realize how much there is out there. Because our God is infinite. And every characteristic, he's infinite. And the more we study about him, we realize how big our God is. It's one of the attributes that the world hates about him, by the way. They want a God that they can put on a piece of paper and define. Say, this is God. Our God's bigger than a pen and paper. He has, done, he has taken thousands and thousands of words to share himself with us, to open himself up personally to us so that we can experience him in the best way that we possibly can. But he's so much bigger. He's so much beyond that. Somebody asked me one time, when we get to heaven, we're going to have access to all this knowledge. Are we finally going to completely understand God? Well, yes and no. Because you're going to have access to the knowledge so you can spend an eternity looking at and studying this God and trying to get to know this God, but understand, he's infinite. 
So as long as you study in infinity, there's still going to be more to know about him. But praise God, we're going to be right there at his feet. Right there to just soak it in and soak it in. I've talked to some great men of God. And I remember one time I was talking to a guy, and I'm like, you, you got to stop for a minute. And he's like, what's wrong? I said, I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose. I said, you just got to let me catch my breath for a second because it's just coming out. That's how I get sometimes when I'm reading Spurgeon. I'll read Spurgeon, and I'll go back, and I'm like, what did I just read? And i got to go back and read it again. Now, Spurgeon wasn't a perfect man. There never was a perfect man. But he's got some deep writings out there. And sometimes I'm like, what is he even talking about? Because it's like drinking out of a fire hose. And sometimes i just got to stop and refresh. These guys were open. They were open to correction. They realized, you know why they realized that? Probably because of our first point. Because they were disciples. And they'd sat at the feet of Jesus and they got used to things that they didn't understand. And they were understanding now that they didn't know everything and they were open to correction. Look at verse number 28. You know how I know they weren't offended? Look at verse number 28 for number five. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went. And he made it as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening. And the day is far spent. And they went in to tarry with him. And it came to pass as he sat. Well, we'll get to that part in a minute. But you see what they did? They get to where they're going, and, and they're going to stay there. And he's like, I'm going to keep going. And they're like, no, 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 it's late. Come on in. They don't know this guy. Not only do they not know this guy, this guy just rebuked with them with the Scripture. They weren't offended. They were reaching out to him in love. No, it's nighttime. Stranger, come into our house. Come have food with us. Sleep here. You can leave out in the morning. They were still, even though they were confused about what was taking, they were still sharing the love of Christ. They've been taught by Jesus Christ to love thy neighbor. And they're still doing it. They're still sharing that love. Despite the fact that they don't understand why Jesus was killed. Despite the fact that they, they, they accept the fact that he wasn't in the grave, but they don't completely understand the fact that he wasn't in the grave. Despite the fact that this, this stranger who appeared not to have any knowledge of the events all of a sudden had knowledge of the events and now he's using the knowledge of the events to rebuke them. But their mind is, this is, that's all well and good. We just want to love you. You look like you need a place to sleep. You look like you need some food. They were loving to him. And look at the results in verse number 30 for point number six. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to them. And their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. They got to see Jesus. They got to physically, personally see Jesus. They were blessed. Not only did Jesus show up to dinner, Jesus said the blessing. And their eyes were opened. And they realized this whole time. Can you imagine? They're probably, whew, I was starting to get mad at that guy. I'm glad I didn't. Turns out it was Jesus. You know, they got to see Jesus physically right there with them. They were blessed. They were blessed. And look what they did in verse number 33. It says, they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleventh gathered together and them that were with them, saying, 
the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them and breaking of bread. They continued to serve. It's our seventh point. They continued to serve. They didn't, they didn't stay where they were. The, the, the presence of Jesus moved them out of their seats, moved them out of their comfort zone, moved them out of that place, and they went back to share with the other disciples what had happened. They went back to share it. They continued to serve other believers. They continued to go to edify. They continued to teach. They continued to go and do these things, the things that they had, they had stopped doing. That's why in verse number 32 it says, and they said, one to another, did not our hearts burn within us? Why did they burn? Because they were disciples. They had accepted Christ for who he was. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was crucified, died, and arose again the third day. And they were willing to still study and talk about him. They didn't give up their fellowship. They didn't just run away from all this because their leader had, had died. They were still in fellowship. They were still discussing it. They were trying to, still trying to understand it. They were still seeking for answers. And even though they didn't have all the answers, they were willing to give the best answer they could when they were asked. And when they gave a wrong answer, or if they didn't understand something, they were open for correction. But above all else, they were loving, they were caring. They allowed that love of God to, share, to spread out of them, to be shared out of them. They didn't just keep the love. And by the way, love can't, isn't something you can hold inside of you. Love, by its very definition, has to be shared. When we try and hold all the love inside of us, we actually become very bitter, very angry. Love is something that has to be shared, has to be, has to be moved through us. And so as the love of Christ comes inside of us, if we, the only way that we can continue to receive that love is we have to give love out to the world. Sometimes it's through food. Sometimes it's through a place to stay. Sometimes it's through giving an answer of the joy that's within us. But we have to continually share that love with the world one way or another, because if it just stays inside of us, eventually we're just like a tank that gets full. Now you've got an air tank, you're putting air in that tank, you put putting air in, putting air in, putting air in, putting air in. Eventually the air is going to, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to stop receiving air or it's going to get severely damaged. Same thing happens with Christians. The love of God will damage you. Or you'll become so full that you become useless. I've met people like that as well. They are so studied. They know so much about the word of God that they become completely useless in their day-to-day -day walk. You know, it's good to study the word of God. But the Bible doesn't command us to stay home and study. The Bible commands us to go and tell. Because if we're not going and if we're not telling... There's no room for all the stuff we're studying to get into us. It becomes just a just a scholastic achievement, just a just a, a, a wasted learning experience. Until we get out and we live it. And we share it. And then just like they were, we'll be blessed. As we share out some love, 
God's going to give us more love. Can you imagine if they'd gotten offended when they were rebuked? Can you imagine if they got offended and when he said, hey, you know, well, we're going to stay here, but if you go on, keep walking. We don't need any more rebuking. Just, you know, the, you know, we'll agree to disagree. You just keep going. If they'd gotten offended by what he'd done, not only would they have missed the blessing, but the disciples back in Jerusalem would have missed the blessing too. Because there'd have been no story to share. And not only would they have missed it in Jerusalem, but you'd have missed it today. And every person that's read this account over the thousands of years that's existed, we'd have missed that account. We'd have missed the blessing that comes from it. We'd miss the ability to, to, to stop and, and look back and question ourselves. Why isn't the Word of God burning inside of us? It used to burn. What's changed? Probably one of these things has changed. Which one's changed for you? Where are you at today? First and foremost, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Can you point to a time in your life when, when you didn't believe and now you believe? If you're a believer, are you a disciple? Or is this it for you? You come to church, you spend an hour, check it off your list, and you go out into the world just like you were never here. Or are you a disciple? Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you praying? Are you studying? We don't even have 25% of our congregation in our continue class. That's kind of telling, isn't it? Some of you stop nodding. That's where it starts. It starts with your heart. By the way, these are individual things. You know, we always talk about, oh, this church is on fire. That church. You know why that church is on fire? Not because the pastor's on fire, but because the people sitting in the pews or in the chairs, those people are on fire. That's how a church gets on fire. Because I'm not the church. Church, by definition in the Bible, is a called-out body of believers. It's an ecclesia. Ecclesia is a called-out, organized body. It's not just two or three gathered together. That has nothing to do with the church, by the way. Read the scriptures around it, you'll see it has nothing to do with the church. The church is an ecclesia, and that word literally means a called-out, organized body of believers. This is the church, not this, this. When you're not here... You're not part of the church, even if you're saved. Christians don't like to hear that. They like to think, I'm part of the church on the golf course. I'm part of the church when I'm out fishing. If you're not part of the organized body of believers, you're not part of the church. This is where it starts. We come together, we get built up, and we go out, and we share the world, word with the entire world. But it starts with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you accept him as your Savior? Do you believe he died, rose again the third day, paying for your sins that you could never pay for? Do you believe that? If you do, are you telling other people? Are you studying? Are you making a difference in our community with the gospel? It's between you and God. I can't answer these questions for you. I'm, I'm still a work in progress myself. I fail them almost every day. But I hope I'm getting better. I pray I'm getting better. I, 
think I'm getting better.